Hello and welcome to the Sky Time Podcast with me, Simon Cousins. This is the third edition of the podcast that aims to share information and experiences within the Sky community during the COVID-19 crisis. Eventually, Sky Time will morph into a celebration and promotion of all the people, places and providers that make Sky such a great place to live, work and visit. Coming up on this week's Sky Time, we meet the volunteers behind Sky Community Response, doing everything from picking up prescriptions to providing PPE for key workers. We hear how the year of coasts and waters is anything but a celebration for marine tour operators, and the ongoing campaign for Scotland's self-caterers to receive the same treatment and support as their counterparts in England and Wales. This week saw the launch of a website and Just Giving page to support the work of Sky Community Response. The voluntary organisation was set up to ensure that everyone living on Sky or Razi has someone to turn to for help during the COVID-19 crisis. I'm joined by Fiona Thompson and Sophie Isaacson of Sky Community Response. Welcome to Sky Time. Hi, Simon. Fiona, how did Sky Community Response get off the ground in the first place? So, the... Sky Community Response service um, really happened very quickly. Um, back in the middle of March, um, both myself and Sophie, we'd been away on annual leave and we arrived back around 18th and um, it became clear that the COVID-19 situation was becoming a bit more serious in the UK and Scotland. And there was an emergency meeting called, I think it was on the 20th, with the Portray and Raise Trust and local councillors. Um, I believe the SLCBO were there as well. And the main aim of that meeting was to look at what services were going to be provided in the area. But most importantly, were there any gaps in those services that we thought the trust and other partners could fill. We, from there, um, I think it was one week um, until we launched the helpline service. So that was a very busy week. Sophie, the, the helplines manned nine to five, seven days a week. That needs a tremendous amount of volunteers. Yeah, and every shift, our, our days are split into two shifts with the volunteers and every shift has at least three volunteers on the phone lines at any time, sometimes a bit, a few more, because on Thursdays and Fridays the phone line tends to be quite busy just in advance of the weekend, so we actually have four or five volunteers on the line through Thursday and Friday. Um, so yeah, over the first few days when we first set up, we had a, a core bank of people who were mostly trust directors or people that we knew who were able to just fill in and help us get started and then we were able to recruit more and more volunteers and put them through some training some basic training that we put together through that preparation week of what you know what kind of calls might come in and then what they could do with those calls and how to answer them or to pass them on to the correct people we're now sitting at over 30 phone volunteers on a rota which is um, refreshed each week and they um yeah, keep, keep the phone line going. And what sort of walks of life do, do the volunteers come from? 
everybody except for one <laughs> is based on Sky. Um, we've got one person who is from Sky but is stuck somewhere else, <laughs> but she's still able to help us, which is really good. And uh, all sorts of careers of people um, and all sorts of ages of people. Um, it's really nice to see such a diverse group of people coming together and working on this project. It's just the, all with a common aim of wanting to help and make a difference. Um, and it's, it's a really good way for people who are maybe isolated and stuck inside and, you know, they can't leave the house to volunteer in any other way, but they want to help so they can volunteer by answering their phone and they don't have to go out of their kitchen. I guess for a lot of old and vulnerable people, you might be the only contact they have with the outside world at the moment. Yeah, and I, th- I think all the volunteers are very conscious of that. They're all very friendly and spending you know, some time on the phone actually chatting to people. But we're also linking up people who are isolated, vulnerable, or maybe don't have a lot, of, you know, a substantial support network with SLCBO's daily call-in service as well. Um, and they're providing a daily call-in, or it doesn't have to be every day, but a call-in service to people who are maybe isolated and, and don't have um, somebody to talk to. Um, so we're, we're working closely with SLCBO on that and linking people who we think might benefit from that up with their service. Fiona, one of the first things that you did was source uh, personal protective equipment, PPE, for, for key workers. How did you achieve that when NHS procurement were having such a difficulty getting hold of it? A good question. Um, so I guess that takes us back to the very start. Um, a local man called David McDonald had set up a online platform called Together Sky. And his aim was to essentially create a database of volunteers in the area who had certain skills. So we utilised those people and brought them on board and they're now key members of the team. They they know where to look for a certain equipment and they know the routes to go down. And we were able to access fast cash um, to purchase some of the equipment and um, obviously having connections with the local health services was really important. What was the reaction from the health workers when you delivered the first PPE? So I I think they were extremely appreciative. Uh, Obviously the NHS Highland is, and other health services are under a lot of pressure right now, and um, they welcome any support they can get. I think we were able to perhaps provide PPE that would have taken longer for them to source through the regular NHS channels. Now, Sophie, going back to the, the core operation, the aim of delivering uh, food prescriptions and other vital supplies to anyone who, who needs it, that's a huge commitment. Describe how you go about running the operation. We have a lot of very good localised volunteer teams which had already been initiated in the outlying areas. We then work with Sky Wholesale um, to help them to deliver any orders which come in. As people can phone into Sky Wholesale, they can order and pay over the phone so no cash has to pass hands, which reduces transmission of the virus, obviously. And our team delivers food packages all around the island. For prescriptions, again, if somebody has a prescription ordered uh, for 
Boots Pharmacy. Our team are going in there every afternoon picking up any prescriptions which have been ordered and called through our phone line and they are then delivered. Um, usually the bikers, there's some uh, some of our volunteers who have motorbikes and they do a run around the North Island. They do a run down to the Scotser Ferry for any prescriptions that are going over to Rassay twice a week. And then we can refer people onto other services as well. Fiona, through this project, you must have gathered some really touching stories that really keep you and the other volunteers inspired to keep working. Um, well, there, one comes to mind just from last night. We launched a Just Giving page to help us cover the costs of some of the PPE that we're going to be providing. We spent around £13,000 so far. Um, and someone had donated £40 um, and said that their two sons had given their pocket money to um, to donate the money. So, that, I mean, that was really touching, just that um, children and adults are wanting to do whatever they can um, to support the cause, and they, they know how hard the local health and social care staff are working and what kind of pressure they're under and, and they want to do something to make their lives a little bit easier just then. That's a lovely story. And Fiona, how can people help? What support do you need to keep the service running? So um, I mentioned earlier, of course, we've got the Just Giving page where we're collecting donations. Um, anything large and small is hugely appreciated, but we do realise that this is a challenging time for a lot of people also so um, we understand that um, we've got the volunteer opportunities obviously and um, if people want to be part of the telephone operator team they can just phone the direct number or use the direct email and um, they can be a delivery driver helping to deliver prescriptions or food deliveries we're open to ideas please get in touch if you and finally, Sophie, remind us of the helpline number. The Sky Community Response helpline number is 01470-373-111. And our email address is info at skycommunityresponse.co.uk. So you can email through any um, questions or requests and that will be picked up as well. Sophie and Fiona, thank you very much for all your work. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Twenty twenty is, or was supposed to be, the year of coasts and waters, a great celebration for coastal communities and a potential boost for marine tourism providers across Sky. For companies offering small cruises to sailing trips, sea kayaking and marine wildlife tours, this last week should have marked the start of a great season. But lockdown is having the exact opposite effect on the marine tourism sector. I'm joined by Andy and Vicky Dunkel, who run Sea Explorer boat trips out of Uig. Welcome to Sky Time. Hi, Simon. Hi, Simon. Andy, firstly, tell us about the business and, and your background. So I've started with uh, this particular boat that I do now four years ago. It's on Sky Explorer 2. So it's, uh, it's a Mitchell 31, so a fairly sturdy boat, and I take people out from Uig out to the Askrib Islands to, to go and see the puffins nesting out there. So the puffins normally arrive late April, early May, and then they head out again to the Atlantic uh, late July, early August. 
So that's kind of like the, the, the shorter puffin trip. And then from August onwards, I will do then a longer trip, I head out to see the, the seagulls over in Water Nation. Now also a little bit further out and hopefully spot the minke whales feeding because they come as well through the summer months when the water temperature is a little bit higher and they come uh, to feed around Sky. I hope this doesn't sound too cheeky, but where did your passion for seafaring come from, uh, being originally from Switzerland? Probably from travelling. I, I always preferred more the water than the than the mountains. We met in Australia scuba diving, and before we moved to Sky, we had our sailing business that we took pe- people on sailing holidays around the Med. And since you've moved to Sky, the, the business has been going well? It has, has been really nice, yeah. So originally we had uh, another guest house in uh, Inuig as well, the Woodbine House. At that time, when we came up 11 years ago, I had a rib. So I did uh, rib trips. But uh, after six years on a, on a rib in the cold and into the wet, I needed to have something bigger with a cabin and with, with a heater in it. So four years ago, I, I switched over to a, a more, it's more kind of like a cabin cruise. So it's a little bit more comfortable, plus as well for the, for the guests, it's a lot more comfortable. Not as much fun to jump the waves and speeding along, but it's a lot more comfortable. And Vicky, did a lot of the boat trip guests stay with you in the B&B as well? We, yeah, we did have a few, but we had a lot of guests as well who just wanted to, you know, travel, travel around Sky and see Sky. So, you know, there was some crossover, but they're very independent businesses as well. But you must have been looking forward to 2020 as the, the year of Coast and Waters, Vicky. It, it, it must have been an added boost to the season. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we just recently built this, um, our new house with our new bed and breakfast, so it's not even been running for a full year. So it was, you know, it was a big year for us. The boat business was going fantastic, new bed and breakfast going. So we were really looking forward to it. So tell me what's happened to your bookings since lockdown. They've stopped. They, they stopped before lockdown because people could were starting to see the signs and then they've just absolutely nothing since then. The only things we're getting now are people want, looking for refunds and cancelling their trips. On my side, from the, on the on the boat business, it's pretty much the first hint of any travel restrictions. It ha- I have absolutely not one booking, not even inquiries. And Vicky, a lot of the deposits that you would have taken, you would have counted as part of your cash flow for the year. How difficult has it been to manage? Yes, so a lot of the t- deposits were apparently non-refundable. But if these ones have come through the big booking agents, then they are insisting that, that we do refund them. Um, what I've been doing for direct bookings is offering vouchers for them that they can use any time next year to come back. But yes, it is counted as your cash flow because it's, it's a long winter to get through. Even though I'm, I'm open in the winter, you don't have much custom in that time. So, um, and you're, you're starting to invest for like new bedding, new towels, um, buying in supplies for the season. So I'd I'd already bought everything in for this year. So on the one side of the business, you've got the bricks and mortar of the the building for the the bed and breakfast. On the other side, you've got a boat. Andy, just talk us through some of the finances involved in running a commercial vessel. So generally, obviously, the the biggest outlay, probably for most uh, boat operators, is the initial investment into the vessel. And that can be from 50,000 to, if you have a, if you're a big boat, to a quarter of a million, half a million. So most likely, most uh, 
boot report uh, operators will have some kind of a boot mortgage, commercial mortgage. So that's for me personally, that's the biggest outlay. Then you will have insurance. Then the other big costs are either if it's in the water, you have the harbor fees. Uh, here in Nuig, you have the, the Highland Council, you have the harbor fees. Or as it is at the moment, uh, because I'm not sure what's happening with my season, uh, I have it still on dry dock down in Broadford. So you're both running very busy, very active businesses. You are entrepreneurs. Now, at the start of this crisis, the government stepped in and said it was going to support business. So let's just go through some of the support schemes that the government announced and see how they work for both of your businesses, both sides of the business. First of all, rates relief. Does that help you at all? No, no. we pay council tax, so it's domestic, because we only have two bed and breakfast, two luxury bed and breakfast rooms that we have. And I run my business out of my home, so no, it, I don't have any commercial premises, so no, it doesn't apply to, to me either. You're both small businesses. The Small Business Grant Fund? No, doesn't apply. No, it doesn't apply to me either. The Self-Employed Income Support Scheme? Not for me because I was not self-employed in the years 2016-17 up to 2018-19. So even though I have my books already and submitted for 2019-20, it doesn't count. On my side, I have I started that four years ago. So they take the, the first, in, in, in effect, my first three years. And the first year was a set-up year. So I didn't make any profit there. So, so it is... 80% of two-thirds two thirds of really. your salary that, that you'll get. But we still, once that comes in, that's off your profit, but you still then have to pay for your fixed business costs. So we calculated that once we take off the fixed business costs, we think, oh, and you'll be left with about £400, 400 pounds for the year. For the year. The job retention scheme, could you furlough yourselves? No, we can't. Self, uh, we're self-employed. You have to be in page earn to furlough yourself. What about the government's commitment to 0% bank loans to help you through a few months? We, we both have commercial mortgages and we were speaking to our business manager and I have to say she was absolutely brilliant. You know, within probably two minutes, it was yeah, all done and we are now on interest only so we don't do the capital repayments, which hopefully will help. So a glimmer of hope there in terms of the bank support you're getting, but this week Kate Forbes announced another fund of £100 million to assist micro and, and small businesses that were falling through the cracks. Are you optimistic that this one's going to help you? I hope so. That is our one glimmer of hope. But I'm, trying not, I'm not getting my hopes up too high because we've been disappointed with everyone so far. Um, but it does sound as if there's going to be help, but obviously there's no detail there yet, which I understand it's a, it's a massive job trying to plug all these gaps. Let's be optimistic then that you do qualify some for some support here. How are you going to get through the weeks, possibly months, until the scheme starts to pay out? Because every scheme takes a while to get up and running. Help from family. Family help, yeah. Mm -hmm. my, my parents, uh, my parents, you know... lent us some money. Full support. So we're, we're in a very lucky position. That's great to hear. And if restrictions are lifted in May or early June, could you salvage something from this season? If uh, social distancing will be uh, 
you know, is not in place anymore, yes. But I can't really see that social distancing will be uh, will be cancelled or, or or scrapped. So I, I think for for my side from the boat business, I can't really see that I have a season. I think from the bed and breakfast, then yes, I think that there would be a lot to salvage um, because I think people are desperate to to go on holiday and to travel. I've had people who've had to cancel already say, well, but maybe we'll come back in May. And, and I'm thinking, I don't think there'll be anything in May yet, but, but maybe June or July. So I'll be ready to go as soon as I'm allowed to. And, and with, with that, the probably the lucky thing is with, with our B&B room, because the B&B room are actually completely self-contained. So they actually have the breakfast area in their own room and they can do self-check-in. So there's actually... If people want this, there can be actually very minimal uh, interaction with it. Andy and Vicky, thank you so much for sharing your story and, and best of luck. Thank, thank you, you very Simon. much. Thank you. I'm also joined by Kenny McKinnon, who runs Go to St Kilda with trips departing from Steen in Waternish. Welcome to Skytime, Kenny. Thank you for having me. Good afternoon. Now, tell me a bit about the business. How, how, how long have you been running it and how's it been going? Um, the Go to St Kilda tours have been running now for eight years. Um, I was involved initially when it first started. I was actually a skipper for the previous owner, Derek Gordon. Um, and then we've taken it over three years ago now. Um, it's been a success since the start. It was a bit slow in the beginning, obviously. It was a new adventure. Um, but since then, we've had five-star um, visit Scotland ratings constantly. The, the trips have been growing. We've expanded to we had a second boat running for two years now. Um, this was looking to be a very busy season for us, um, but unfortunately, things are slowing us down at the moment. But you must have been especially optimistic this year with it being the year of coasts and waters. It was going to be a real boost for your sector. Yeah, we, did, we had great ambitions this year. We had two sets of regular crew we had two boats ready to go and um, we just re-engined one of them as well forgot about that um, so everything was set we've had great bookings we, we opened up um, this season early we usually leave opening the season up until june but last year we had so many people requesting it that we i think it was actually in april we opened um so we had strong bookings and we always see just the throughfall uh, people coming onto Sky themselves and then booking on. Um, we were expecting a bumpy year. It's uncertain in every aspect of Sky as a whole. I think accommodation doesn't know it's going to be open. Restaurants can't take bookings. Like nobody, nobody knows the future at the moment, unfortunately. So when the first lot of support initiatives were announced by the government, how did you react? How much of a panic did that put you in? Obviously, we would have liked to see something come out for ourselves. We inquired, um, we spoke to HIE and to, um, we actually spoke directly to Kate Forbes as well, um, who informed us they did hope that something would reach us um, in the future, but at the moment, because we were lacking a premises as such, the same as most boat operators, I'd say 95% of operators don't actually have a fixed premises as um to sell their business from a lot of it is um, online and just operated from the vessels themselves. So the, the restrictions for funding for us 
was purely down to you could take a loan from a bank. Um, these loans are well and good, but people don't, after coming out to the winter where we've just invested all our money, you don't want to then go and borrow money to kind of pay off your, your debts, if you like, and create more debts. It's just because if we, if we make nothing through the summer, we are then in this perpetual system if we get to the winter and we have had no more funds coming in. Um, like a lot of us, I, I took three or four days uh, trying to catch up with all my friends, really, that are operating all the other different businesses. And many of them uh, were in the same situation. It's really everyone's expecting the money to be coming in now. Um, and if it doesn't, like we've all built up over the winter and it's been spending, people, a lot of people have only got kind of two, three months, um, especially when you're refunding all these other payments. People are kind of only two or three months away from having to pack it in, really, to be honest. There is some light at the end of the tunnel. Kate Forbes has announced a new £100 million fund to target small and micro-businesses that have been falling through the cracks. We don't have any detail yet, but does that give you some optimism for survival? Yeah, we're uh, we're very well. We're very pleased and excited to hear that there might be something there to help. Um, it's hugely appreciated. I am very impressed with what the government and what the Scottish government have done so far in their efforts. Um, I can't fault them for their funding of other businesses. Um, but no, we're very happy. Hopefully, I have again um, briefly spoken to HIE, and we think we're going to qualify for some help here. We don't want to see the boats doing nothing, obviously, but if we don't have any choice, it's just good to keep everyone in some form of employment, really. We should know by the end of the month, I believe, the full expected outcome from this funding, so we we wait. Kenny McKinnon, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Remember, if you have a story to tell or a question you want me to pursue, email simon at simoncousinsmedia.co.uk. Now, last week, we spoke to Mark Crothall of the Scottish Tourism Alliance about the work he's doing to try to ensure that fewer businesses fall through the cracks, like Kenny McKinnon and Andy and Vicky Dunkel, who we've just been hearing from. Now, another organisation that's been fighting the good fight is the Association of Scotland's Self-Caterers. Its chief executive is Fiona Campbell. Welcome to Sky Time. Hi there. Now, self-catering, it's a pretty significant sector of the tourism economy. Perhaps a lot of people don't realise that. It certainly is. Self-catering represents £723 million to the Scottish economy. And in the last couple of years, 25% of people chose to stay in self-catering accommodation over any other kind of accommodation. And it's not to be confused with the newer models of um, collaborative economy home sharing, such as Airbnb, you know, there's traditional self-caterers, Airbnb is a route to market, but they are not the same things. Why was the ASSC set up in the first place? The ASSC was formed in 1978. We're the oldest self-catering accommodation association in the whole of Europe, and we're certainly the biggest. We're currently sitting at 707 members and representing about 10,000 properties. Uh, it was actually established back in the 70s by a bunch of people, including Nick Nairn's parents, funnily enough, um, who were really keen to raise the standard of self-catering in Scotland. You know, they saw that people were leaving their old granny's crockery in places and not putting the sheets on and so on and so forth. So what the association was 
born to do was increase quality and um, make sure that we were a professional organization. That's obviously changed in the last few years. Now we spend a lot of time lobbying on behalf of the sector, making sure that we're not negatively impacted by legislation, so on and so forth. Working with people like Fire Scotland to make sure that we are absolutely up to stand with health and safety and all of those things. And your background, you're obviously passionate about this sector, but you could never have imagined that your role would take on such significance. No, I opened a self-catering operation 18 years ago and um, had no idea I'd be where I am today. I still do self-cater. I've got two properties in Argyle. Sky Connect last week conducted a survey of self-catering and B&B businesses and it revealed that Sky alone is set to lose £9 million from the island economy this year. You've been doing your, your own specific survey nationwide of the self-catering sector. What's that telling you about the impact of coronavirus? The, the survey that we've just conducted, we um, undertook it over 36 hours and gained 602 responses which is nothing short of miraculous in the first instance when the grant funding was announced back on back on the 23rd of march self-catering was actually excluded from the grant scheme so you can imagine people welt into a slight meltdown um after much discussion self-catering was then included in the grant scheme on the 27th of march but only under strict eligibility criteria so not only are we being differentiated from every other self-catering operator in the whole of the UK, we're now also being differentiated from any other small business in Scotland. So we're feeling slightly aggrieved. People are very concerned. We've got massive complications with different local authorities interpreting the grant criteria in different ways. And the sum result of that is out of 602 responses over the last 36 hours, only 11 people have received any grant support. Why is it that do you think that the sector is being left out, neglected and considered not worthy of support? Kate Forbes, our Cabinet Minister of Finance and obviously uh, MSP for Sky and Loch Arbor, was very keen not to allow anybody that has a second home to be eligible for grant funding, which I absolutely support. This is not here for people that have accidentally managed to get through the Small Business Bonus Scheme eligibility criteria over the years but they don't actually use it as part of an active income stream. Uh, Scottish government quite rightly wants to support businesses where self-catering or any other business is part of an active income stream. However, I'm not convinced that this is exactly the time to be retrospectively looking at anomalies to do with the non-domestic rates process. What has been established is that self-catering is a huge part of people's income, active income streams, even if, especially in rural parts, you'll know up in Sky, lots of people rely on many different diverse income streams to make up the whole familial income stream. Self-catering will be one of those. Now, part of the eligibility criteria is to evidence that uh, self-catering is one third or more of your income. Now, the confusion around that is, is it if you're a husband and wife team, is it your joint income stream? Is it a singular income stream? How do you evidence one third or more? Some people are coming back and saying they only reach 29%, therefore they're not eligible. Now, as far as I'm concerned, if you can prove that it is part of an active income stream, that should really be the only eligibility criteria. We're being told that we have to jump through hoops 
but none of the local authorities know which hoops we're meant to be jumping through and operators are fundamentally confused. And the fundamental bottom line is nobody's getting the support that they desperately need. I've asked this question before, but I'm going to ask it again. Why do you think they are making it so hard for this sector? It can't surely be purely around the issue of people's second homes. It's a very good question. For a sector that is quite so crucial to the Scottish economy and people understand that, MSPs understand that, there is still this bizarre perception that self-catering is bad because of companies such as Airbnb. Apparently there's some new press in the in out today surrounding people wanting to shut snow gates to stop people moving around. Now my members are all professional sensible, responsible operators of self-catering. We largely shut our properties before the Scottish Government asked us to, and as soon as the Scottish Government did ask us to, we shut our doors to the public. So I do not know why we're being singled out, and we are being singled out, and it is unjustified and really unfair. And people are feeling abandoned, and I've got a lot of members that I'm actually concerned for their mental health on the back of this. The fund that Kate Forbes announced yesterday, the new fund for micro and small businesses of £100 million, again, we have no criteria about how that's going to be distributed, but are you optimistic that that might help your sector? I'm certainly optimistic for micro businesses that aren't on the non-domestic rates roll, and that includes B&Bs who we feel very affiliated to, who are on council tax because obviously it's still their domestic premises and they don't uh, accommodate more than six people, for example. I'm also heartened that they have got that scheme available to them if they've been operating for under three years. So I'm really pleased that those people are hopefully now not going to be falling through the gaps. Whether it impacts on anybody that has got more than one self-catering property but is only eligible for one scheme but isn't eligible for the self-employed schemes because they put their income through as furnished holiday let property income rather than self-employed income, it's not going to help at all. Just go into that in some detail for me. What is it about the furnished holiday let criteria that excludes people from getting the self-employed income support? Self-catering on whole is a bit of a grey area. It sits between domestic and commercial operation, depending on who sees you. Now, in terms of HMRC, when you put in your tax assessment at the end of the year, rather than putting the income from the property or the furnished holiday let into self-employed income, you put it into the property pages of your tax assessment, self-assessment. So therefore, you are not deemed to be self-employed. So there's just a strange HMRC anomaly, and that's nothing to do with the Scottish Government. They are not in control of that. That is a UK Treasury issue, um, and it's still, it's something that we're lobbying hard on with the Scottish Tourism Alliance and other bodies, because it is, again, a differentiation that we have no control over. We do what we're told to do, and now it's rendering it more difficult for us to get support. You say you're lobbying hard, but it must be getting more and more difficult to get the ear of ministers because they're just getting busier and busier and bombarded by sector after sector after sector. You're absolutely right. And and, and I know that people, MSPs and ministers, are getting absolutely inundated from self-catering sector alone. I know that because I'm copied into an awful lot of correspondence. 
I would possibly say that if some of these issues were resolved, the correspondence would stop. And the level of inundation reflects quite how many problems there are, specifically with cell catering sector. What are your fears for many of your members? My fears are in the short term, the mental health of a lot of people. I've had a lot of people phoning me up on their knees, wondering where on earth they're going to turn. I have people that have had to refund uh, visitors due to the online travel agents such as booking.com, home away and so on and so forth, making them refunds. And they've had to make decisions as to whether they refund a guest but they have to or putting food on their family's table. Now that is desperate. And that was weeks ago. We're now on the 16th of April. We're approximately five, six weeks into this crisis and nobody's got any money. We don't operate at massive profits as an industry. The tourism industry reinvests its profits into the properties and the experiences and the offer that we give to tourists. So we are not sitting here with a big buffer behind us. We're all hand-to-mouth operators and very small micro-operators in many senses. So we just don't have the, the, the resource to look after the longer term, let alone the short term. Now, in our survey from last night, 40% of respondents are actively pessimistic about the outlook 12 months and longer. So we're not looking at tomorrow. We're not looking at June. We're not looking post-lockdown. People are worried about their long-term sustainability. Looking ahead slightly more positively, would it be fair to say that your sector, compared to many other parts of the tourism industry, is actually better placed to bounce back once movement restrictions are lifted? Absolutely. I think we're absolutely in a key position to be one of the first sectors to bounce back. And we're ready and waiting to do that. We've already got strategies in place to see how we can do that best. Because we can open our doors in a second. We don't need to restart. We don't need to restock. We can open our doors to clean wonderful properties in some amazing parts of scotland where there's wide open spaces where you don't need to see lots of people where self-isolation can essentially continue once the virus is contained so i'm looking forward to working with people like wild scotland and various and as for and visitor attractions in order to help essentially kickstart the tourism economy now we have to be positive at the end of the day in that we will come out of this and we have to look and harness that positivity. I was speaking to my European counterparts this morning, and in Portugal, 93% of their tourism is inbound. Now, they have wiped off any kind of kickstart to this economy until the end of the year. We are really lucky. 70% of our tourism market is from the UK. So we can regenerate tourism quite quickly, and self-catering is in the perfect position to do that. Fiona Campbell, thank you very much for your time and, and keep up the good work. Thank you. And that's all for this edition of the Sky Time podcast. If you have a story to tell or a subject you want covered, please get in touch. In a week or two, we're hoping to speak to Sky MP and leader of the SNP at Westminster, Ian Blackford. If you have a question you want me to put to Ian, email simon at simoncousinsmedia.co.uk. 
You can also get in touch if you'd like to sponsor or advertise on the podcast. Until next time, stay safe, stay home, and stay in touch with family, friends, and neighbours. Aikiva. Aikiva.